righty. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this special edition of Live 270 brought to you by Brownsville Tech Live. And it is my distinct honor and privilege to have in the house Mr. Gregory Scott Kunkel II, who is running for U.S. Congress for District 34. Mr. Kunkel, welcome to our show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, um, Daniel. I really appreciate the time and effort and um, happy to answer questions. Love talking to the people and think that our representatives in Congress, whether you're Republican or Democrat, should be doing this on a regular basis. Definitely. We definitely appreciate you taking the opportunity to come on the show. I will say that you are our first uh, candidate that uh, is appearing for District 34. So congratulations, you made it to the top spot uh, for our 2024 campaign kickoff. Hey, I've been told by some of the other candidates, I'm a hard act to follow, so I'm glad <laughs> to be first. Well, definitely, we hope that uh, you know the other candidates follow suit soon, and we have put out some invitations out there, so we're hoping to have a few more candidates out there, not just for Congress, but uh, across the other uh, you know positions that people are running for. So uh, it's definitely an exciting 2024, and uh, we've got a. Uh, an exciting election year coming up, not just at the national level, but also at the state level and also at the uh, local level as well. So, so I couldn't uh, agree more. Yes, definitely. Uh, so, Mr. Kunkel, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, uh, where you come from, what your background is, especially for those voters out there that uh, uh, may need to know a little bit more about you? Of course. And um, again, thank you, Daniel and Brownsville Tech Live for giving me the opportunity to come on to this platform. And if this is your first time um, meeting me and learning about my platform and what I stand for, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to get involved in politics, to question your representatives. And I always want to be a voice for the people of South Texas, as well as making sure I stay accountable in answer to anything they may have. So, um, Starting, first of all, my campaign is about putting family first. And why that is, is because I am born and raised in South Texas in the Rio Grande Valley. I was um, lucky enough to be born in Westlaco, Texas, where my mother was a nurse for 40 years at Knapp Medical Center. About 1992, when I was seven years old, my family moved to Harlingen. And I stayed there all throughout high school um, until later on attending Texas A&M University, where I am blessed to do that. Uh, my mother was a nurse there. My father was in manufacturing. And as a matter of fact, at this time, there are three generations of Kunkels that have resided in Harlingen, Texas. Um, although the Kunkels, they go all the way back to before our country existed, you know, the famous picture of Delaware crossing the river, that's him capturing my 12th generation grandfather, um, Heinrich, all the way in the Northeast as a Hessian mercenary. Wow. And um, come down 200 years later, in the border of South Texas, you know, my my father's family from Indiana, my mother's family from Mexico, I think there's no better representative of the Texas border culture than a Havsey like me. Um, I was able to attend Texas A&M University where I met my wife at um, McAllen, Texas, actually, her family being and still residing in McAllen and um, graduated. We got married, 
came down my first job being at um, Cam the Cameron County AgriLife Extension Office, where I was blessed to really meet the people of South Texas and get involved with agricultural projects, horticultural projects, um, different organizations, including building multiple community gardens to promote nutrition and wellness across the valley, trying to help people with food. And that's where I got to see firsthand and work with the people there. Um, but time keeps moving fast, and four children later, I returned to Texas A&M University, pursuing even more education. And um, as a matter of fact, I'm now the assistant director of the Global Cyber Research Institute at Texas A&M University. Fast forward to now, and I am ready to represent the people of South Texas, show um, America the beauty of this land, not just the problems of the border, but everything from space with Boca Chica to the agricultural foundation that our South Texas community was built on. The hardworking people, the people of La Frontera, and, and I am one of those people. I am a born and raised in this district border child, and that is what I am doing here. Um, my cat, my platform is built on putting hashtag family first. And what that means is putting an economy first for our family, providing security to our family, whether that's backing law enforcement or stopping the trafficking of fentanyl across our border, and as well as education. I'm a big proponent of education choice. I'm, as a matter of fact, a homeschool family, family myself. And that is the foundational three pillars of putting family first in America. And I'm here to say that my campaign, I believe, starts in the South Texas border district of Texas 34. And where it will end later, I don't know, but I am truly on a journey to save America by putting the nuclear family first. Well, that's definitely uh, good to hear, uh, Mr. Kunkel, no doubt about that. And one of the things that I believe you've touched on is the and it's been in the news quite a bit is, you know, with regards to immigration, there is no doubt that our borders appear to be broken. Uh, there is thousands and thousands of people coming across the border, not necessarily from Mexico per se. And that's one of the things that I've had discussions with, with yeah. a lot of folks is the impression has always been that it's actually people from Mexico, but it's actually people from South America, South and Central America. Right. Uh, right. You know, a lot of those people are escaping, you know, drugs and cartels and violence and gangs and stuff like that. And, I had the opportunity, and I call it an opportunity, to actually work for one of these government contractors a few years ago that dealt with undocumented children. And it was just amazing the amount of un un unaccompanied minors that are actually coming across uh, the border by themselves, Bad. you know, and it's it's totally incredible. And the millions of dollars that are being spent uh, to house, clothe, and feed uh, some of these children. Of course, no fault of their own, correct? But it's still dollars that our federal government is spending each and every day. Uh, what what do you think we can do? I know that I've had uh, Judge Gascos on my show several times in the past, and one of the things that you know I know that the Trump administration uh, tried to do a few years ago is build a wall, right, uh, a, a physical wall. But one of the things that Judge Goscos reminded me of was that one of the things that needs to be done is to encourage Mexico to control their southern border, because after all, it's their southern border where most of the Central Americans and the South Americans and the Chinese 
are actually flowing into Mexico and yeah. route to the U.S. What That's do you think exactly we right. can do or what do you think we need to do to encourage our our partners to the south to to try to curtail that uh, flood of people from coming into their border and then subs subsequently coming into ours? You know, that's a that's a great question, Daniel. And I've actually spoken to Judge Gascos many times. As a matter of fact, when I first began working for Cameron County AgriLife Extension, my first day on the job, my boss took us to the, cam uh, the county courthouse. And I got to meet at the time Judge Gascos before he arose to fame in the Trump <laughs> administration, as well as under Governor Perry, Secretary right. of State. Um, I'm a big fan of his policies and his ideas. And one of his ideas that I will expand upon right now, he's had some great um, progressive ideas in controlling the border, including his idea of having southbound checkpoints. Um, um, like many people in South Texas, I've driven to the Falcurias checkpoint a hundred, if not a thousand times. And I think it's time for us to have a southbound checkpoint, but also working with looking for guns, drugs, and cash that might be flowing into Mexico. Another idea that Gascos and I agree upon is aside from just funding the wall in Brownsville or along the U.S.-Mexico border, helping Mexico to build a wall at their southern border right. and trying to prevent people that have crossed that way. You um, expanded upon a term the Border Patrol uses called OTM or other than Mexican. And you're right. A lot of immigrants that are coming over are not, um, they are Hispanic, but they are not Mexican. Here's what I was told. Do you know what the number one um, country of origin is after Mexico along the U.S.-Mexico border the past few years? If I had to guess, it would be Guatemala or Honduras. Close. India is the second country in terms of a country of origin that a lot of the second most immigrants other than Mexicans have come in. And oh, wow. you see that now the Indian population, as well as many others, they don't stay in the really Grand Valley. We are right. just a transient and a conduit for the people that are going to the larger. Same thing with the drugs flowing to the larger cities, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, New York, L.A., which is why I'm a big fan of Governor Abbott's busing and train program. But um, that to say, I do think we need to put more economic pressure on Mexico, on enforcing their borders. And you know what? I am a little hawkish on this idea. I am willing to also utilize the United States military to defeat some of these cartels and drug smugglers that are occurring. I've actually lived in Mexico. I spent some time in Guadalajara, and it's amazing that when you get stopped on the highway of Guadalajara for a normal traffic spot, there is a truck, a policia right behind you with a 50 caliber machine gun mounted in the bed pointed directly at you. Because oh, yeah. those are the kinds of problems that happen. And so if Mexico is not willing to utilize their forces internally, I do think the United States needs to step up with our military, whether it's drone strikes. If we can defend the borders of Ukraine, we can certainly defend our borders and help out in Mexico because it is becoming a national security risk. I'm sure we will talk about fentanyl drugs, the death of Americans later on, but the immigration and the unknown I mean, 300,000 people that have just crossed the southern border in the past month, the Democratic Party is now in the business of creating states. They are creating entire states of immigrants that are just dispersed. And I do think it's hard time we take a more aggressive approach to making Mexico enforce some of those laws. Yeah, you're definitely correct. In fact, I'm going to flip over to our virtual theater screen, and I want to kind of illustrate something here that uh, was a little surprising to me. And I've popped in our virtual iPad. 
Uh, we're going to go ahead and go over to X. But one of the things, and I believe it was on X. I'll, I'll try to find it here. Give me a second. At least I thought it was on X. Hold on. Uh, uh, here it is. There was a, it caught my attention today, believe it or not, uh, which was kind of interesting. Uh, it had a group <coughs> of, of uh, people attempting to cross the border uh, with um, chat, chatting Biden, 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 believe it or not, <laughs> which kind of touches exactly what you were uh, what you were actually talking about, that it seems that the Democratic Party seems to be loading up the, the buses and the trains along the way. But one thing that caught my attention, and I'll go ahead and zoom into this for a second. Let me see if I can zoom into this, is that there apparently seems to be organizations outside the United States that actually have mapped out. I don't know if I could zoom into this any further, but they've actually mapped out routes that these folks can actually take to actually yeah. enter the United States. It's a shame. It's incredible. So, and what we are looking at here is the Biden administration has created an entire industry, a multi-billion dollar industry that has tra human trafficking, drugs, even children. It's like you talked about in seeing the children that are being brought over unaccompanied minors. The fact that the United States government is now in the parenting business is, is, sickening to me. The United States government does not need to be raising children and, and scrounging and, and trying to find a place for them to go on a quick basis. I've been told of some of the horror stories in hospitals where these children do not have advocates and they're sick and they're running fevers and they're going crazy and children are being handcuffed to beds and gurneys in hospitals because they cannot control them. They're, they're sick. They're tired. And it's the most unfortunate thing I've ever seen. You know, just to elaborate even more, Danielle, my mother is a, was a career nurse. And she spent the last 15 years working for the Port Isabel Immigration Processing Facility. She did a hospital nurse, home health nurse, a nurse of 40 years, watching multiple pandemics go across the southern border, including cases of tuberculosis that would flow across in the 1980s from Mexico working in Wessico. But unfortunately, one of the reasons I am running today is because my mother was the first nurse to die of COVID at the Port Isabel Immigration Processing Facility. And this happened at the beginning of the Biden tenure. Before my mother worked the night shift and before Biden became president, they would get, you know, 15 to 25 immigrants on a nightly basis. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you are caught at the U.S. border is you receive every single health care need that you could possibly have. If you need dialysis, they have a dialysis machine. If yeah. you ask for insulin, they will give you insulin. And my mother was part of the first line of nurses that would take care of being a bilingual Hispanic nurse of these immigrants. Well, when Biden opened up the border initially and we had the surge of South Texas, 
15 to 25 immigrants a night turned into 200 to 300 immigrants that my mother was processing, getting vital signs. The first thing they would do was give them a COVID test and 80%, 75 to 80 at this time of the immigrants there were COVID positive that my mother was treating. They didn't have the correct PPE. And unfortunately, my mother was the first to succumb to COVID at that facility. Right after they decided to change some of the policies and the amount, but the immigration surge of South Texas honestly was part of the reason of my mother's passing and inspired me even more to run, to make my voice heard. My mother was a Hispanic conservative woman. And you know what? I often remember the talks we had in the car because as a Hispanic conservative woman in South Texas, my mother can't say some, she worked for the federal government and was a federal contractor. She couldn't say some of the things in public or at work that she would tell me and that we would talk about. But she is the original American dream. She is my inspiration. Rising out of poverty, her family being first generation, she's a first generation American, her family coming over from Mexico, living in the United States and telling me what it is to be Republican, conservative, to work for what you have. And that, you know what? Immigrants do have a place in our society. But we as Americans and immigrants both must follow laws. And that's what I encourage telling everyone today is that we need to follow the laws in the books. Governor Abbott, Texas are doing that. And the federal government and the Biden administration, by circumventing the laws and going against them, have created an entire industry that you're showing on that map with the drug dealers and cartels profiting the most. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can tell you that I was on the front lines during the COVID pandemic. I worked for one of those federal contractors, specifically with the undocumented children. And I can tell you that during the transition from the Trump administration into the Biden administration, there definitely was a surge. And not only that, but if the American people understood the millions of dollars that are being spent on this effort. And by the way, Delta Airlines is the biggest benefactor of all these flights, all these tickets. There are airplane tickets being bought on a daily basis to transport people out of the valley. It's incredible. They're, they're, they're flying out of Harlingen, Texas, yep. at the, in the private area of, of the Valley International Airport. At three you know, o'clock in the morning, by the way. Yep, yep. They're doing, they are covering their tracks. Um, I have some friends that, that utilize that area and, and farm there as well and have told me, you want to see what America is doing with these immigrants and flying them out. You're right. They're paying commercial airliners at night to get them out of here, distribute them, which again, um, I'm glad Governor Abbott is taking the same approach for these sanctuary series cities. But the fact that our district, the border, we have to absorb that cost, that um, the, the health care surges in hospital in if COVID or another disease comes up and we have a surge in hospitals, our hospitals are at risk because of the increase in population. Our education system has to absorb this cost of being on the border. And again, I am not anti-immigrant. I, I, my, I am a family of immigrants from both sides, but we must follow the laws and we must diminish this open gate that is going on. It is it's incomprehensible and has never been seen in the history of the United States. That should tell you something. Forget Ellis Island and the early 1900s of American workers. This is record setting immigration that has a national security risk. Absolutely. I mean, and, and not only are we dealing with South and Central Americans, I mean, we're dealing with Russians, we're dealing with Chinese. I mean, they're using the same gateways to get into this country and for God knows what purpose, you know, uh, 
you know, they, they did catch somebody about a month and a half ago, uh, apparently taking a video of the inside of the SpaceX complex. Uh, yeah, you know, I saw that. they were from, from China, you know, I've always been in disagreement with just letting people walk all over the place down there, you know, especially with stuff like that, that's being built. But and we, on that note, they will they will close that facility to the public eventually. I don't know what they'll do about highway access to the beach, but I can tell you right now, I'm very familiar. I'm a big fan of SpaceX and the work going, the the global implications of having the world's first global spaceport in District 34. It's, I can't believe it. I, I take my children to that beach and they see rockets fly where I grew up fishing on the jetties. And to them, they know it as Rocket Beach. I mean, it's amazing. But I do think with the amount of military work that SpaceX does and will continue to do for security risk, I believe they will close that facility. But even now, as you stated, I saw that gentleman from China that was there um, getting getting um, photographs and information because we already know what China's going to do. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and so there's definitely, you know, other groups that are using, you know, the southern border and the entry points. And let's, I mean, let's not forget, you know, there's also a northern border that we have to look out yeah. for as well because you know after all 19 hijackers did come through the northern border right you know we we tend to forget that and uh you know we just you know the way i see it border security equals total security that means the north the south and on every coast I completely agree. And I am um, I'm a little more conservative in the War Department than most Republicans. I'm not a fan of the Ukrainian war. I'm not a fan of the Middle East wars that occurred. And you know what? Um, I do like Donald Trump's approach in that he didn't start any new wars. He was planning to bring troops back from Afghanistan. And, you know, I agree with you that it is time now to secure our own borders more than ever, north, east, south and west. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to uh, the next topic, which is Bidenomics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what will you do to concentrate uh, primarily on the chokehold that some of the administration's policies have done to this economy? Obviously, we've kind of sort of recovered from inflation, but it just doesn't seem that way. I mean, the numbers are low, but you and I both know that when we go to the grocery store, we seem to be spending three, four, five hundred dollars, you know, possibly every every two weeks, you know, at the grocery store. You know, gasoline's low, but who knows how long that's going to last. Um, what what will you advocate uh, if uh, you're elected to Congress to try to uh, help the American people, uh, you know, uh, get their money back because we've had money taken away from us in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, inflation is a silent tax that affects everybody. And I'm going to correlate this back to immigration. One thing that a lot of Republicans, including Donald Trump and I will disagree upon is that there is just no possible way. All of these immigrants that are coming in right now are going to be round up and taken back to their home country. Here, here's before we move on to the economy, let me just talk about this point in the border. In my opinion, Joe Biden is setting a trap right now because 400, 300,000 immigrants that are coming in, the political fiasco that would take place if Donald Trump wins the presidency in November, and I do believe he will, and I will be voting for him if he is the primary candidate. 
Donald Trump will not be able to deport every single immigrant that's come in. And if he tries, it will be a political downfall for the Republican Party for 20 years. That's why we must shut down this border now. And Congress must use the power of the purse because Joe Biden is setting an immigration trap, similar to Governor Abbott with the National Guard there. Joe Biden wants to see... Texas National Guard troops shooting at immigrants and families or hurting an immigrant and starting a conflict. That is why they're putting in such close proximity the conflicts between the federal agents and the state agents. But I digress. Now let's shift over to Bidenomics. Similar to the border numbers that we are seeing, the prices of fuel, food, eggs, will never come housing will never come back down to the levels we saw before yes inflation is technically slowing but it will never return the value of a dollar will never return to what it is and now it is only 80 cents of what it was 10 years ago and let me tell you daniel i have four children do you know how many eggs we use for breakfast Whenever we could, just give me a guess. Maybe you have four kids. Well, I, I've only, there's only three of us. I have one daughter and I could tell you that uh, if one doesn't last us three days, we're lucky. <laughs> we, we have four children and the two um, oldest in the middle are boys. And let me tell you, we cook eight to 10 eggs just for breakfast to, and people are still asking for seconds. So the cost of everyday items and fuel and energy, what most Americans don't see with this is that the prices will never come back down. Just like when we let all these immigrants in, in a fast fashion, unlawfully, they are not going to be kicked out. And so what I would do in Congress, first of all, is it's it's actually part of my plan in putting family first, is having sound economic principles for the American family. And what that means is everything involved for the family, having jobs, decreasing regulation, increasing energy production in the state of Texas, oil, nuclear, solar, wind in the Rio Grande Valley has, has picked up over the last 10 to 20 years albeit those are companies that are from out of the country and reaping the tax benefits, but I digress again. But I would increase energy production in Texas to spur up jobs. I would even increase space development in, at the Boca Chica facility. Also, at one point in time, you're probably familiar, but Harlingen, Texas had an office for Lockheed Martin where they manufactured Correct. aspects of Lockheed's um, rockets, as well, further along, the... Um, SLS component, I believe, when Lockheed Martin transitioned, Texas and our district, especially South Texas, has a history of aerospace manufacturing. And I think with Elon Musk now in South Texas, we need to develop that idea of aerospace manufacturing, satellites, vehicles, telecommunications, even more. I'm a big fan of manufacturing, as a matter of fact. And I think we need to utilize the Valley's population and getting people jobs in, in production of manufacturing, semiconductor, why not have the next United States semiconductor plant in South Texas, along with the first global spaceport? That's what I would try to pursue. Um, even more, though, our district is special, and you know this because of Brownsville, because we have a coastal area, too. And I want to see our natural resources utilized to their fullest extent. I want to see more shrimpers out shrimping, more fishers out fishing, increase in tourism industry. I'm glad to see the second causeway is moving forward. And um, as a matter of fact, though, even further into the valley, 
County. I love one thing about Cameron County compared to Hidalgo and others is the economic tourism of our land. Um, everything from Palo Alto, the, the battlefield, to the World Birding Center, to Hugh Ramsey Park, where I did my Eagle Project in Harlingen. All of our, our wonderful, um, the, the Sable Park in Brownsville as well, all of these wonderful ecological aspects, I want to see them flourish and have people from around the world come to South Texas to see the beauty. So providing jobs, decreasing regulations for businesses and red tape. We have, and, and I'm sure you spoke about it, but we have a fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy, that when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Department are preventing the journey of the United States and South Texas to Mars and the moon, if that's what's holding it up, we have a severe problem with government overreach. I'm a constitutional conservative, so if it's not in the Constitution, I basically want it um, out of the federal government's hands. Yeah, definitely that is something that... Um... We, we we need to work on is with regards to energy. I mean, it seems like this administration has been pretty much focused on, you know, the EV market. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with electric vehicles. But for us to uh, basically have a preference for the EV uh, market and to the benefit of China, by the way, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that the batteries are actually coming from China That's you right. know, at this point. So yeah. definitely there's no doubt that, you know, China is right now one of the biggest benefactors of the of the EV market. And I think that's coordinated through the Biden administration as well. Does China have dirt on President Joe Biden? I think they possibly do. So why not enrich them through production and tax incentives for electric vehicles that have those components and batteries mined in China? Sounds like a great way to whitewash the money for them. Even more, you know, um, Elon Musk is a proponent of electric vehicles, obviously, but I just drove a, a, a rental vehicle this past holiday break. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I had some trouble finding a charger. And I will say that our infrastructure is not completely ready for that. And furthermore, on the electric vehicle note, you know, they're fun, they're quiet. I've even seen some military projects where they are utilizing electric hybrid motors and tanks because they provide a silence factor on the battlefield, which I completely agree with. Let's use the technology when it's necessary. But my own 14-year-old daughter pointed out when we were charging this electric vehicle that doesn't this come from the coal production, natural gas, electric facility that's just down from these wires. And at this time, it does. So even utilizing electric vehicles has a foundational production aspect in fossil fuel. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and it, it's it's just one of those things. I, I don't believe in, in helping our enemies. And, uh, you yeah. know, China... Right now, we're basically contributing to China, to China's economy by buying up batteries, you know, as noble as the idea may be, you know, to have an electric vehicle. We need to start producing those batteries here in the U.S., you know, instead of giving all that money and those jobs to the Chinese. You know, I completely agree, whether it's semiconductors. Um, electric vehicle batteries or components to our military's fighter jets that are being Absolutely. manufactured. It's, it's a national security risk. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember a few years ago, uh, you know, because a lot of the semiconductors and chips were actually being built in China. I mean, we we had we had parking lots up in Detroit of vehicles that couldn't even move move off the lot yeah. because they were missing chips. And and then keep in mind, a few years ago, uh, we were even depending on Russian made rocket engines to power, you know, our, our space vehicles when NASA uh, needed those. I mean, it's just insanity, you know? <laughs> and we still are for um, return vehicles and going up to the International Space Station. Isn't it amazing that we're in a proxy war on the ground, but we're still working together in outer in inner space? I mean, I guess I'll take that as a win. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, they've definitely have been pretty good partners with the space station. How long that lasts, I don't know. You know, there was all kinds of talk a few years ago about uh, them parting ways. But, uh, you know, definitely, you know, I do not want to depend on our on our adversaries for for you know chips for our for our military or chips for our vehicles or rocket engines for our uh you know uh space hardware you know i'm i'm really uh glad that uh, you know we can count on spacex today you know to ferry astronauts and cargo because we were paying the russians 90 million dollars each and every time we paid them for 10 years 90 million a rocket launch all for vladimir putin to take that money and invest that in nuclear missiles to point back right back to us or to start proxy wars somewhere around the world as we've seen over the last few years you know we've been actually feeding them dollars you know as a regard of our our lack of planning when it came to having some kind of alternative to the space shuttle when they retired it, you know? Um, yeah, let's I'm, a, a I'm a big bit. fan of aerospace. And um, and I think SpaceX being in our community is, is such a blessing, a boon. And in Congress, I want to facilitate that relationship and even provide more federal dollars to SpaceX in doing this job of commercial space travel and taking it out of the hands of foreign adversaries or even government contractors. There's a place for NASA and um, the SLS program and others, but let's go and look at more private industry and the advances that are occurring there. But again, when U.S. Fish and Wildlife can hold back your space rocket launch for the United States of America, basically, we have a government overreach program for sure. Problem and I wanted sure. to kind of touch on that a little bit uh, towards the end, but I'll go ahead and 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 touch on it now. You know, I've coined sure. the term, actually. Uh, Hillary coined it the other way back a few years ago, but I put my own uh, coin and I call it the vast left wing conspiracy against Elon Musk. Do you believe that yeah. that exists out there? It almost appears that, you know, there seems to be uh, a conspiracy out there on the left uh, to pretty much, uh, you know, go after Elon Musk uh, for just about anything. I mean, let's let's also kind of face reality that Elon is kind of you know, done a few things that I even don't agree with. Right. But, uh, I can, yeah, yeah, but, but there just appears to be this left wing conspiracy out there that let's just be totally anti Musk for just about everything. Do you think that there's elements today in this administration that are, 
leading efforts to curtail SpaceX at this point? Oh, yes, sir. You will see me post publicly on social media and forums and other places that the Joe Biden administration is utilizing um, federal bureaucracy and agencies to withhold the business and space development of SpaceX and Elon Musk. I'm glad he moved to Texas. There's probably a big reason. A similar thing was probably happening in California from an economic perspective. So the more, I mean, Elon's made the correct decision, but the reason why this occurred, in in my opinion, is because of the acquisition of Twitter, now known as X. When Elon Musk took Twitter away from the Democrats, that was their bullhorn. That was, I've seen the studies, the influence, the data associated, and the power that was associated with Twitter in broadcasting a message, whether it was the Hunter Biden laptop um, Donald Trump's, you know, stories from when he was younger, Hillary Clinton's um, sickness or health, the power that Twitter had in promoting them. I actually didn't believe in it. I, I didn't use Twitter early on. Mm-hmm. And I, I was more, you know, I'm a little older. I use Facebook and Instagram. I can't even keep up with all the <laughs> social medias, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm old school, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Great. and now X. Yeah. And I can attest that X is the quickest platform for attaining news and information. And I really enjoy that fact. I like looking at friends and family on Instagram, their holiday pictures. But if I want news and stories that are occurring in almost real time, X and Twitter is where it's at. And Elon Musk took that power away from the Democrats. And he is, I mean, you can't prove this kind of case, but it's not a conspiracy. He is being punished through federal bureaucracies in his businesses. Think even um, Tesla recalls, I would even go so far as to say, could be part of bureaucratic agencies getting involved, whether it's the Department of Transportation or the Fish and Wildlife Services or the FFA. There's so much bureaucracy that Elon Musk is being definitely throttled down, without a doubt. Yeah, there is no doubt. I mean, I can't prove it per se, but I definitely see it. I definitely see it even, sadly, coming from Silicon Valley at times, you know, where there seems to be an anti-Musk movement out there. I wanted to talk a little bit about education. I know that you touched on it a little bit earlier in the show with regards to education. You mentioned that... uh, um, you were homeschooled or you did, or whether you were homeschooled or you, you homeschooled your kids, but obviously that's been a big controversy here in the state of Texas recently, especially with regards to choice, uh, with regards to school choice and the diversion of funds, uh, from, uh, public to private. Um, what, what's your position on what we can do? Would you go so far as, uh, uh, Vivek, uh, uh, proposes to get rid of the Department of Education, or would you not go as far as that, maybe try to curtail some of the things that get pushed by the Department of Education? But what can we do to not only expand school choice, but also uh, try to see what we can improve with our public schools? Because, you know, we're still going to have public schools, so there's going to be a need for public schools. Uh, What do we need to do to uh, revamp our education? You know, um, just to to take a word from Vivek, I think 
we need to undergo an education revolution. And um, I went to public school myself. I graduated from Harlingen High School in 2005 um, with a lot of my friends and classmates. Um, I'm one of the few that left to attend university and I'm, I consider myself the prodigal son of the Rio Grande Valley returning with more knowledge, with more experience and a love for South Texas that I didn't even have when I was raised there. But leaving and then looking at the Rio Grande Valley from the outside, it's the, from the natural resources to the spaceport, to the people and the breakfast tacos at, um, I still call it Stripes, but <laughs> Valero or whatever. You know, I'm not even 956, Daniel, I'm 210. Yeah. That is my area code. So to go down to education, you know, I think we need a complete revolution. I would go so far as Vivek in dismantling the Department of Education. Um, I have a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a pocket copy that I carry with me in my bag. And unfortunately, there's no Department of Education listed. Right. And what does that mean? Our Constitution says that no rights that have been established or nothing that has not been established in this constitution is reserved as a right to the people and the states, which means I believe Texas should be an administrator of the educational regulations that occur here. And of course, we have a split system of federal and state dollars. But what I also know in being a realist is that completely dismantling the entire Department of Education will not happen overnight or at the snap of a finger. So what I am in favor for is real solutions of progress and moving in that direction. And at this point in time, that includes educational choice in the state of Texas. I'm sad to see that it didn't go through in these special sessions, but I support Governor Abbott and that ambition of providing education choice. You know, let me ask you a question. Do you know any happy teachers? I don't. I have many. a lot of friends that are teachers <laughs> and, and it's sad that they do not enjoy their job. I have friends that are teachers in inner city Houston in South Texas. You know, um, one of the reasons we decided to, my family homeschools our children, and we were involved in the public education system for a while. Um, we went to, I'll, I'll leave the district name out of this, but um, we lived in along the, the coast by South Padre Island, and um, we went to a public school system. And you know what? They had two kindergarten classes for my oldest child. They had English speakers and non-English speakers. Mm -hmm. And it broke my heart to see that teachers had such trouble because they had to teach in two different languages. They had to support teachers and parents that didn't even speak English. So the, the schoolwork and the work is done in English, but the parents themselves don't even understand and can't help because they only speak Spanish. And again, this program, this problem was stemmed because of the influx in immigration and our in our education system having to absorb that. So what I believe to fix this problem in South Texas, now, of course, we also have the um, charter schools that have been popping up in South Texas, and they are a hybrid solution to correcting the problem that is occurring. I do believe we need to apply free market principles to education. Now, some of my good friends, including Carlos Gascos, have disagreed with me on providing public funds to private industries, in this case, religious schools or private schools. But I do think we need to provide um, open policies that we would apply to business and provide economic, just like SpaceX, we provided an economic incentive, essentially, of tax dollars abatement to SpaceX to build here. Well, now, for the benefit of our children, I think that we need to provide supplement 
capital funding for private schools, homeschoolers, and go with the voucher program that Governor, Governor Abbott has outlined. Um, the education system actually is not very old. The, the concept of public education started as a religious component. It actually started with the Protestant Reformation, where at the time only Catholics of high status received education. And it was Martin Luther himself in the Protestant Reformation that said education should be for all. Now, the state of Texas's constitution mandates that we provide a public education. So in my opinion, we should provide the funding for teachers, I mean, for parents, and allow the dollars to follow the child. It's better outcomes for everybody. This, there will be, you know, a reshuffling period. There will be closures of public schools and there'll be other schools that will succeed on the public level as well. But, you know, the system has grown too large. And you know what, even now, Daniel, we hold high school football coaches more accountable than we do for our own politicians. So right. when high school sports have overtaken some of the educational aspects of providing a foundation for our society and civics, we need a revolution in education. So I, you know, I am for dismantling the Department of Education and allowing states to pursue what they believe, that being the parent. The parent, Daniel, is the first teacher of any child. And unfortunately, now our public school system, for a lack of better term, has become a babysitting service for kids. And we don't need that. We need change. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, uh, I mean, I remember when I was in high school and I'm probably not much older than you are, but one of the things that I remember is that we had hall monitors. We didn't have police departments back in those days. Uh, you know, we didn't have the kind of things that happen today where people <laughs> come in with, with guns and things like that. I mean, you know, a lot of times things were settled out at the out at the playground with a fist fight or two. <laughs> but today we've got schools with bigger police departments than even the towns surrounding them. And it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And we've kind of gotten away from the, uh, the old paddle, you know, per se, you know, luckily I never got paddled, came close, but I didn't get paddled. You know? I got, I got paddled. Oh, yeah. you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, I, I, I remember it too. They, um, was a corporal punishment yeah. and they um they had a, the, the lady it was the, the principal and the vice principal and they, they this was a school in harlingen they'll remain nameless i was i think in third grade and they had a book of regulations that they were making sure they followed where they had to have two people present i had to hold my hands out like there's a whole procedure for paddling a child yeah. and i think i even faked cried to make them feel better about it oh, whenever they did it because it was <laughs> it was pretty funny at the time but um, they asked my parents and my parents were like, if he's if he's acting up, give him a SWAT. You know, it, it happened. <laughs> now, I know this is this was a, an issue at the state level before. But what's your position on uh, arming teachers? Uh, you know, um, I believe that teachers should they want to be should be allowed to be armed, concealed carry or possibly a safe in 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 their room um i i have some friends that he's actually a gunsmith and makes um accessories for firearms ar-15s and such and he had this great idea that he said when i win congress for me to to fund this idea but even providing um a type of group safe in an area of the school where if there was an active shooter teachers could go you know to this 
maybe the teacher's lounge or in area, multiple areas within a school that firearms are locked in, almost like a um, firearm storage in a public office or the White House or a jet or something where, where they keep the, the firearms stored there. Right. I am for um, allowing teachers to be armed if they are trained. And I think we should provide more training to every gun over, owner. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. Um, it shall not be infringed upon. But I also think we can allow and provide more training for our society. And that includes teachers, especially. If a teacher wants to receive training and carry a gun at school safely and soundly, I am even willing for the government to provide the funding for that training to occur because that'll increase the safety for children. And that goes back to my campaign of putting families and children first. Well, one of the things I wanted to touch on a little bit to, as a as a dive in from this topic is obviously healthcare, but primarily, you know, you touched on something, you know, with regards to gun safety. You know, there was an effort in the state, you know, back uh, when the shooting, I think it was at Uvalde, right, uh, where there was an emphasis on providing more funds for mental health. Uh, do you believe that we need to spend more money on mental health with regards to that so that we can prevent some of these people who may be suffering from depression or, or mental issues to to get the care that they need at this point? You know, um, that's a great topic that you bring up. And um, I was just having this discussion with someone about school shootings correlating with the advent of cell phone use in schools mm -hmm. and how if you look at a correlation of the amount of phones and the usage of schools, it correlates to an increase in, in the casualties and school shootings that have occurred. Now, is this a causation versus correlation type of data point? I don't know. But what I do know is that we do have some mental health issues. And I would attribute the mental health issues to being on a phone, being on screens, social media, video games. You know, I love I love video games. Um, again, I'm a little more old school on that. Halo, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. Those are probably some of the last ones that I did play. I don't keep up. To, I can't keep up to date. <laughs> Honestly, my my kids just busted out the Super Nintendo my wife's Super Nintendo. We've been playing Donkey Kong and Mario World for the entire break. Um, wow. But I digress. Putting um, mental health for students, I'm not going to go as so far as to say I would increase tax dollars for that. But here's what I will say. As a constitutional conservative and a fiscal conservative, if elected to Congress, I will not vote for any program that will increase the national debt unless it is a matter of national security. So that being said, what I would advocate for is that we divert some of these dollars that are being funded for democratic programs. I don't know, Rand Paul just released his, his list of, of funded mandates that I think, you know, teddy bear, transgender research in Russia and other programs we funded. I am ready to slash programs in the United States government and provide training, funding, and help for mental health issues. I think that's a, a, a good, not solution, but a good step in the right direction because we clearly have a problem with children. But I would also like to say, I think it goes back to parenting. Parents are the first teacher. If a parent is not involved in the child's life from a social aspect, problems arise. And we've seen from these school shootings that parents you know, have missed some of the key, I mean, shoot, the FBI, miss some of the key indicators at these school shootings of what's going on. And we need to make sure that we are involved in our children's lives and not send them off to be babysat at a public school. 
being there for their education, their social life, and even sitting around a dinner table to talk to each other about our day. That's kind of a lost thing, I feel like, in today's society. And I hope we can get back to that in America and helping people with mental health issues. Yeah, there definitely is something, you know, uh, where we need to get back to at least having those uh, conversations at the dinner table. There's no doubt that, you know, there everybody seems to be glued on to their phones these days. I mean, you go to a restaurant today, you see a family and everybody's on their phone. Nobody's talking to each other anymore. And I'm not I'm not sure where we lost it. And and you know what? I'll say guilty as charged sometimes. You know, I may do the same thing, but it is it is kind of ridiculous, you know, that, you know, we we all seem to be glued on our phones instead of concentrating on having these conversations that we need to have because, you know, our kids may be suffering at school from something being bullied and they're not being paid attention to, you know, our phones and our tablets are now our electronic babysitters. I mean, I, I was at the hospital you know, about a year or two ago, and I see, you know, the parents, you know, younger parents today, they, you know, the kids crying and here, they give them the phone and entertain them with YouTube, you know, and of course, you know, now TikTok and, and, you know, personally for me, you know, that I've, you know, live on the internet. I mean, there's stuff on there that I wouldn't want my five-year-old to be looking at, you know, you can't control some of that stuff anymore. So, um, definitely we need to return back to, you know, kitchen table conversations, as I call it, you know. Yes, sir. I completely agree. Let's kind of focus a little bit on the, on foreign affairs. And obviously two of the biggest uh, issues out there today is the Israeli and Hamas conflict going on. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Israel was attacked, you know, back, uh, at the start of, uh, I believe it was October, if I recall. Um, and uh, it was caused by Hamas, and obviously they've been battling them. Uh, what's your position on that? Uh, you know, should we increase additional funding for, for Israel with regards to their, their uh, ongoing uh, conflict with Hamas at this point? And as I stated, I am a fiscal conservative and would not vote for a bill that would increase the national debt unless it is a matter of national security. And I would be willing to argue that the Hamas attack on October 7th on the land and people of Israel, the Jews, the, the tragic videos that we saw occurring in real time, and the um, social media terrorism that occurred to them and their families, that is a national security risk. And I do believe we should fund and help Israel to the extent that they are asking. And furthermore, the Biden administration does not need to be meddling in their affairs and creating constraints and rules and allow Israel to follow their own rules of engagement and achieve their own objectives. Clearly, the United States has had a problem achieving some of our objectives in the Middle East. So who are we to say how Israel needs to handle their war? It is war. There is a reason that war is hell it's because it needs to be, because the sooner it's over with, the better it is for everyone. So watching the UN, watching the Democratic Party, you know, talking, speaking about this, it's amazing. I'm very curious what the Jewish voting population, with all the anti-Semitism going around, will think of this come November. And I think the Democrats and Joe Biden made a huge, a huge mistake 
that they may not have seen coming. But now um, they have doubled down on anti-Semitism. And I actually think it's also because of the influx of Middle East and the Muslim population in the United States. They are trying to um, corral them to the Democratic Party, unfortunately, utilizing anti-Semitism at this time to do that. But um, I would let Benjamin Netanyahu, as well as the Israeli Defense Force, do what they need to do, just like our border patrol on the southern border, do what they need to do to secure their borders and their people. Yeah, one of the things that I try to mention to some of my friends who have differing opinions from I do is I reminded them, you know, the the, the Palestinians were given an opportunity in the 1990s for self-government, and they blew it. They blew their opportunity. They were given yeah. millions of dollars to the P, to the Palestinian Authority, and then and then and then that money got funneled over to, uh, you know, these other groups, including Hamas. And instead of taking that money and investing it to improve the lives of ordinary Palestinians, they pocketed all to themselves, or or used it to buy weapons and rockets from Iran. So it's not like they weren't given an opportunity for self-government. They just blew it. They blew away the money and the opportunity that they were given back in those back in those years. So in my opinion, shame on them. <laughs> you know? Shame yeah. on them. You know. Here here's one thing I, I ask a lot of people too is you know what video I've never seen? You know, I've seen I've seen videos of people being murdered at a music festival. I'm actually a musician. I love music. I love music festivals. I've seen videos of people being shot at at music festivals, paragliding terrorists into parties, um, you know, bombings and killing of children and abhorrent events that have occurred. I have never once seen a video of a Palestinian saying that we support Israel's right to exist. Let's stop the war. Where where are some of the Palestinian public that do not support the efforts of, of the government of Palestine and the terrorism that are going on? I, I see tragedy that occurs in Palestine, of course, deaths of children, bombings, mm -hmm. but I've still yet to see a single Palestinian citizen say that we must stop the war and Israel has the right to exist. Right. Have you seen any video such like that? Absolutely not. It's it's they're very simple words. I yeah. respect the right of Israel to exist. It's pretty simple, in my opinion. You know, I completely agree. You know, but you know, people tend to forget that they were given an opportunity for self governance back in the nineteen nineties, and they blew it. They literally blew it. You know. All righty, and let's talk a little bit about another touchy subject, the Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Love Obviously, it. you Love know, uh, there, there's a lot of controversy with regards to the Ukraine. I mean, uh, there is monies, obviously, that are right now being held up in Congress with regards to the Ukraine for, uh, you know, some good reason. I mean, we definitely heard the some of the stories back, you know, when we were dropping cash into the Karzai government in Afghanistan and the boatloads of money and God knows where <laughs> that money went. And, you know, there is a concern that, you know, if we do that with the Ukraine, that God knows where the money is going to go to. So what's, what's your position on the Ukraine? I mean, obviously they are definitely fighting Vladimir Putin. There's no doubt he is a threat. He is a threat, not only to the Ukraine, but obviously some of the other former 
uh, Soviet republics that have been free for 20 plus years. I mean, uh, what what's your position on the Ukraine with regards to funding them? But not only that, what can we do to ensure that Vladimir Putin gets no uh, no further uh, ideas of invading any of the neighboring countries as well? You know, this is a topic that, um, I, again, I agree with um, Senator Rand Paul, where he stated, and I agree completely in my opinion, this war will end with a truce between Ukraine and Russia, and Ukraine will cede 50% of their land to Russia for a stalemate. That is what will happen, in my opinion, as well. And with that comes any type of artillery, technology, battery, armaments, tanks, anything that we provide that will be on the side that Ukraine is ceding will go directly to Russia and Vladimir Putin. And in my opinion, I think the Biden administration knows this. The Democrats know this. And even to an extent, Republicans know this as well. And unfortunately, this is where I would agree with, um, disagree with a lot of Republicans in that I believe we need to stop the funding of the Ukrainian war, defending Ukraine's borders where we cannot even defend ourselves. This is where NATO needs to step up. NATO needs to pay their fair share. And if, you know, Ukraine was not led into NATO for a reason. We've seen the corruption of their government. We've seen and heard of of Ukraine canceling elections, um, discrediting political parties, where we've seen that before. Um, at, at least here in America, we're not canceling elections from a presidential um, election yet. But Zelensky called for, and I don't know if they actually enacted, but called for canceling a national election that he was up for. And that's unacceptable. And we should not be funding this war. I don't want to see American troops there. I actually have some friends that are their job. They're in the military. They are cruising along the Ukrainian-Russian border and gathering intel and watching out. They're just, you know, they're in Humvees ready to go if anything were to spill over. But we do have an active presence in Ukraine and I am ready to stop that and provide funding for our own border. And it's a shame, quite frankly, that the Biden administration is holding hostage the southern border, allowing unprecedented immigration to occur because we are bickering over funding Ukraine. Now, why does President Biden want to fund Ukraine? That's the question you need to ask. And I actually think it all goes back to Burisma, Hunter Biden, um, firing the prosecutor, you're not gonna get the billion dollars. I mean, the the lines that are parallel and connected, it's amazing how America has not seen how this is all, not a vast conspiracy, but literally connected dot to dot. And in my opinion, Joe Biden has started and continued a war to deflect from that aspect of his involvement in Ukraine, which they impeached Donald Trump for. So again, unfortunately, it's one of those things that you just can't prove. But if you go above the forest a little bit, you're not blinded by all the trees. And if you take a higher level, a 5,000 foot level, you can see how this is connected. And literally by funding Zelensky and Ukraine with American tax dollars, it's another kind of bribe, I believe, that Joe Biden is living up to from some previous deal with the Biden crime family syndicate. Yeah. You touched on a little bit about NATO, and obviously a few years ago, I haven't heard much more about it, but basically there was uh, 
the idea or the opportunity to increase NATO mem membership to some of these uh, former Soviet republics. Uh, are you in favor of of that happening? I mean, obviously, I can't remember the article number, but obviously a threat against one NATO country is a threat against NATO completely. But what should be uh, our position with regards to NATO membership in general? Uh, should we extend NATO membership just to extend it to the Soviet republics just to contain Putin? Is that the best way to contain Putin at this point? Or are we you just know, or, would, or are we just stirring the hornet's nest, so to speak? <laughs> I would honestly say no, um, because a lot of these countries that have seceded from Russia and the former Soviet Union, they do have a significant Russian population and Russian ethnicity and history between those countries. And you know, there are times in the European population and history where these two peoples have had conflict. And I would argue that the establishment of NATO and what it what it is after World War II should leave some of these countries, such as Ukraine, out of NATO. And just absorbing Ukraine, absorbing the Balkans or other countries to as almost a chess move against Vladimir Putin, I don't think that is an adequate um, way of going about the situation. I think NATO, similar to the United States, needs to increase their defense and their borders that they currently have within Europe's continent. Um, and that means them paying more, them providing more for NATO troops as well as NATO funding. And they need to fix their own house before they start trying to add some family members right. under one roof. <laughs> Another right. way to say it. Well, one thing, one of the last topics I want to talk about, and it's a little bit on a more personal level, but I, I usually ask this of most candidates when I interviewed them. I, I know I did it the last election cycle. Some candidates felt comfortable about answering the question. Some did not. But I want to kind of get a little bit of a feel for you as how faith has played a role in your life and how faith will play a role moving forward should you be elected, you know, as our representative for District 34. You know, um, I, I truly believe that I am at a journey and a path set forth by God. I don't I don't tell this to very many people, you know, and and we're on camera right now, but I do need to bring it up and address. But I, I truly believe that I've been called by God to be a representative, a voice for people like my mother, Hispanics, conservatives, those that don't even speak English, but have conservative values and know that they want a better place for their family, for their children, a better economy, more security, better education. And I believe I have the solutions, the voice, and the energy to do that. And I believe God has blessed me with that. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I told you earlier I was a musician. Actually, my my wife and I um, have been worship leaders in the past. And faith has always been a big proponent of our family, um, even politics. You know, um, we even I like to talk about the time of Jesus and back in, in the days of the Hebrews in Israel from a political perspective, because it's interesting that even at that point in time, you know, Jesus, the crucifixion, the birth, because of the fighting with the king and the government and the religion, it was a political issue that had occurred as well, even though we look at it from a religious separation standpoint today. But faith has always been a significant part of my life. I'm not going to go so far as to say I speak to God or he speaks to me directly, but I truly see his work every day 
in everything of creation. I see God's work in hand. And I believe I'm just an instrument um, doing his will. I pray for that daily that I am walking the path he has set forth, doing the will that he has called me to do. And I believe this journey is part of that. Um, and honestly, flipping South Texas's 34th congressional district from Democrat to Republican, I believe that that is part of a journey that he has set forth that's even greater. And where it leads, I don't know. Um, I will tell you, there are um, there are talks of faith in even possibly going to the White House later on and being a voice for the Hispanic population across the United States of America. As Hispanics grow in voting in numbers, I truly believe that the conservative values that Hispanics hold will grow as well. And I hope to be a voice for those people as we continue this journey together, my family, the people of South Texas and God. Great. Well, definitely we, we wish you the best of luck in the next uh, couple of weeks. I know that there's a primary coming up. Could you tell us when that primary is scheduled for and when is the start of early voting and uh, the election itself? Yes, um, the first primary, of course, is gonna be March 5th. And I encourage you to go and vote Kunkel for Congress for Texas 34th Congressional District. We'll be listed first on the ballot in Willacy County. We'll be listed third on the ballot in Cameron County, um, second in Hidalgo Can County. And I have not received information from Claiborne County. So if you know anyone in the Claiborne Republican Party, please let me know. But early voting begins two weeks before March 5th. So I also encourage you, if you need to vote by mail, early voting, get out there. And you know what? My campaign takes no donations. I don't have donors. Um, I don't even file with the FEC because my expenditures will not go beyond $3,000. You know why? Because I don't want your money. I want your vote. Texas's 34th congressional district is one of the poorest districts in the United States of America. And I don't need to take money from any hardworking individual in South Texas to help my campaign. What I do need is people's help. And thank you, Daniel and Brownsville Tech Live, in sharing my message, in telling someone, word of mouth, sharing a post, talking about politics and the candidates and getting involved at a local level. That's what I need to win this election. No amount of signs, no amount of commercials, and no funding of dollars is going to beat the Democrats in November or Vicente Gonzalez, who is currently running. But a voice that matters, a man of the people, someone born and raised in this district can win because South Texas is changing with the tides. And I believe I am that voice and humbly ask for your vote in the Republican primary March 5th, 2024. All righty. Well, we've definitely gone more than an hour today. And uh, any final thoughts uh, for the viewers out there that you want to, uh, any final thoughts or comments you want to, uh, you know, uh, share with the viewers out there uh, before we close? You know, one way that I am trying to promote my campaign without commercials, without ads, is I want to speak to as many people as possible. So if you have any questions, please follow me on social media at X, Kunkel for Congress, Facebook, Kunkel for Congress, or Instagram, Kunkel for Congress. And I go live. I produce videos. Please share them. Comment. I want to hear from the voters. I want to hear about the issues that are affecting South Texans every single day. And I want to provide solutions and not only speak to the people of South Texas, but listen to them as well. So I encourage you to get involved, to um, start using social media in a proactive fashion of being involved 
involved in local, state, and federal politics. And again, Daniel and Brownsville Tech Live, I thank y'all so much for the time. Well, we definitely appreciated having you on tonight. We enjoyed the evening. It was very informative, and uh, we hope that uh, we've given the voters an opportunity to uh, look at your campaign, and we definitely wish you the best of luck. Uh, to our viewers out there on the ninth social media platforms, you can catch this episode um, live uh, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and you can catch uh, the recordings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So if you missed it tonight, you can catch this uh, episode uh, soon on some of those other platforms as well. Uh, once again, we appreciate Mr. Kunkel for taking the opportunity to be on our show tonight, and we thank all our viewers for tuning in tonight. Uh, we will have uh, another uh, edition of Live 270 next week. We will have uh, uh, the uh, 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 GOP uh, candidate for uh, Cameron County Chair, Deborah Bell, will be in the House uh, next week, and we will also be holding a special episode of Brownsville Tech Live where we will talk about bilingual education, primarily why Juan cannot read. So if you want to tune into that show, we'll be having that next week as well. Mr. Kunkel, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we will have you back soon. Anytime. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Good night.